As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Italian Innovators. Benvenuti. This is Luca Cottini, Associate Professor of Italian Studies at Villanova University. One of my favorite words in Italian is the word impresa. It means endeavor, adventure, feat, but also company and more broadly entrepreneurship. Despite what we might assume, the core of an impresa, whether in sports or in business, does not lie in what we ultimately achieve, but in the initial drive, in a secret call to overcome our limit, discover ourselves in combat or dialogue with something other, and pursue the impossible, often in uncharted territory. If you think about it, business springs from the same urge to busy ourselves or risk an adventure, and from the same concomitant attitudes accurate planning of the costs and means for the journey as a way to tame its perils, as well as a deep thirst to know ourselves and the world. In this joint effort to respond to our measurable needs and a measurable quest to make sense of our time, business then is as much a material obligation as a spiritual or intellectual necessity. That's all well and good, but You might say, and fairly so, that many endeavors or companies actually fail. So one could ask, why dare to begin an impresa? Why chase the unsafe out of our comfort zone? Why expose oneself to the risk of failure? As a way to respond to these questions, which lie at the core of entrepreneurial initiative, I will introduce you today to a legend of international alpinism, the Italian climber Walter Bonatti, active mountaineer in the 1950s and 60s and world explorer in his second career as a photojournalist. His experience will be our lens for observing business as a truly human activity, requiring, as in alpinism, a similar co-presence of discipline, preparation, respect for the unknown, and burning will to constantly triumph over frailty and aim at new heights. As an introduction to our chat, I want you to hear Bonatti himself talking about his mountaineering imprese. You can also refer impresa to entrepreneurship. Sono in molti a farsi questa domanda, chi ce la fa fare? Lo giudicano 
questa nostra attività attraverso le nostre imprese, appunto materiale, il lato materiale della scalata che io trovo è sempre il meno espressivo, ignorando invece questa, appunto, questa, eh, questa forza spirituale, questo desiderio, questa eh, volontà di vivere intensamente che io penso sia la base delle, delle nostre scalate. Many people ask us this question. What makes you do it? They judge our activity only through the lens of our material conquests, the material aspect of the climb, which I always find to be the least expressive, ignoring this spiritual force, this drive, this will to live intensely, which is at the base of our climbs, end quote. Business or mountaineering is not primarily about money. Bonatti would not gain much from his activity, nor is it about recklessness for its own sake, but rather about a passionate drive to climb, to know, to live. This passion, of course, cannot be severed from the zeal, care, and calculated effort of the journey. Bonatti was one of the most trained, skilled, and expert mountain climbers in, in history. Now, his experience as a climber and explorer is certainly a testament to this creatively disciplined model of alpinism or entrepreneurship, revolving around the unity between the desire for knowledge and the rigorous training of skills as the means to achieve it. However, in his imprese, climbing or exploring finds its maturity only as an intellectual pursuit as a cultural awareness of one's own relationship with history, the environment, and the understanding of what it means to be human. As Bonatti puts it, and I quote, the value of a climb is the sum of three inseparable elements, all equally important, aesthetics, history, and ethics, end quote. Let's see now how this model unfolded throughout his career. So Bonatti was born in 1930 in Bergamo, but grew up in the countryside near the Po River, where he loved fantasizing about the wilderness in company with his favorite authors, Jack London, Herman Melville, and Ernest Hemingway. In the spring of 1945, the area became a crucial battlefield of war. The vision of this carnage would stir in Bonatti the first intuition of mountaineering. There were burned-out vehicles and bits of bodies strewn everywhere in the river and on land, he would later comment. I knew then that the river offered no escape, so I looked to its source and saw the mountains. In that moment, I decided that climbing was to be my life. End quote. After the war, he returned to Monza, near Milan, where his parents lived and threw himself into gymnastics, developing strength and balance, as well as alpinism, after climbing the Grigna, a rocky mountain near Lecco, for the first time. In the beginning, mountain climbing was a form of escape from the harsh post-war reality or from his work in a steel mill. But as he started to take on increasingly daring challenges with limited financial means and equipment, it soon became something else. The climb of the north face of the Grand Juras in the Mont Blanc group 
rapidly made Bonatti known in Italy, and his 1951 ascent of the unclimbed east face of the Gran Capucin, considered the most difficult granite climb in the Mont Blanc massif, massif and worldwide, firmly positioned him as a top climber. From this first major achievement to his last feat in 1965, the epic solo winter climb of the north face of the Matterhorn, his career would unfold in an irregular series of jaw-dropping successes, tragic failures and proud comebacks. On the one hand, his insatiable drive to reach the summit and open new routes mirrors the entrepreneurial urge to get to the top and pursue untried paths. On the other hand, his humility in attempting the same project several times or even abandoning it before the summit is testament to the profound respect for the alterity of the mountain and the awareness of our limit, which is needed in every enterprise in order to avoid the risks of disillusionment or hubris. Now, Bonatti's mountaineering story starts from the Alps, with the 1952 opening of the first route on the Aguille Noire de Péteret on Mont Blanc, and the 1953 first winter ascent of the legendary north face of the Cima Ovest di Lavaredo on the Dolomites, but Bonatti's fame would soon lead him to the Himalayas. In 1954, Bonatti was selected as the youngest participant in the Italian expedition to K2, the second tallest mountain on Earth, in the attempt to reach its difficult summit after the previous year's conquest of Mount Everest by Edmund Hillary. The Italian expedition, led by Ardito Desio, reached the summit of K2 on July 31, 1954. But the celebration for such an extraordinary achievement would soon be marred by a long dispute, starting with Desio's account of the conquest. While Bonatti and their Pakistani companion Amir Mahdi proved to be the most capable of surviving high altitudes, the more experienced Lacedelli and Compagnoni were chosen to reach the summit. In his account, Desio claimed that Bonatti tried to steal their oxygen as a way to explain Lacedelli's unplanned decision to move the summit pair camp, leaving Bonatti and Mahdi behind to bivouac out in the open at 8,100 meters. Bonatti, instead, argued that the summit pair had moved the camp to actually kill, kill him and Mahdi in order to avoid the shame of seeing their younger and fitter companions reach the summit without the aid of oxygen. Fifty years of controversy followed Desio's accusations of Bonatti, which were instrumental in presenting Lacedelli and Compagnoni's summit as unaided later photographic evidence showing the two using oxygen at the summit proved them wrong, thus revindicating Bonatti. We don't have time to go into detail here, but I invite you to find out more about this story, which in a way left an enduring stain on Bonatti's reputation and in another way proved his honesty, courage and sense of honor. The K2 story, which remains a great Italian achievement, was also the trigger of Bonatti's boldest feat, the solo climb of the Aguille du Dreux in the Mont Blanc group in August of 1955, 
which given its difficulty is still considered one of the greatest masterpieces of alpinism. Bonatti's comeback was also augmented by an epic impresa when during his sixth day upon the mountain's vertical rock he opened the way through an insuperable strait by attaching a rope in a crack and swinging to the other side, thus managing to conclude his ascent. So Mont Blanc was truly Bonatti's mountain, as also confirmed by his relocation to the city of Courmayeur on its Italian side. But soon the climber also joined other important expeditions outside Italy, for example in Patagonia and in the Pakistani mountains of Karakorum. In 1958, he was part of an Italian-Argentinian expedition to the unclimbed Cerro Torre, which turned out to be unsuccessful due to a lack of sufficient equipment. In the same trip, though, he ascended the unclimbed Cerro Mariano Moreno and the Cerro Adela and opened up a traverse path, the Cordon Adela, across three mountains, Cerro Doblado, Cerro Grande, and Cerro Luca. In the same year, Bonatti also joined an Italian expedition to the Pakistani Gasher Broom 4, summiting the 17th highest mountain on Earth, only 75 meters shy of 8,000 meters. In 1961, after reaching the top of the Rondoi Norte in the Peruvian Cordillera Waiwash, Bonatti would return to Mont Blanc, and his character would be tested in the tragic expedition up its most challenging route, the central pillar of Frenet, which ended with the death of four of the alpinists on his seven-member Franco-Italian team. In 2002, French President Jacques Chirac awarded Bonatti the Legion of Honor for his determination, courage, and altruism in rescuing his companions and trying to save the other four fellow climbers who died on the mountain. His last two feats were the first climb of Pointe Wimper, one of the summits of the Grand Jurasse in 1964, and the 1965 solitary winter climb of the Matterhorn's North Face that we mentioned before. Now, in looking at Bonatti's career of stunning conquests, unexplored paths and dire straits, risk or fear, and even death, is a recurring element. On the one hand, fear is a key feature of any undertaking, not as something to remove, our unrealistic attempt to never fail or to live in a safe bubble would preclude any real development, but rather as something to manage and turn into a resource for growth. There cannot be elevation without conquering fear, and Bonatti himself confirms that courage in the face of risk is una condizione che lo scalatore si pone per raggiungere per conquistare se stesso attraverso la conquista materiale della montagna. A condition that the climber aims to reach to win over himself through the material conquest of the mountain. On the other hand, fear is a key factor in developing discipline, respect knowledge of the limit. In Bonatti's words, once again, the essence of mountain climbing, and I quote, is not getting to the top. It's having the humility and self-awareness when necessary to be able to stop 100 meters from the summit and make it down alive, end quote. So adventure or risk, not for their own sake, but rather as a condition to truly live, to know oneself. 
How often do we forget in our culture of safety and success at all costs that failure is part of learning and that respect and discipline are key components in taking risks? Bonatti's philosophy of the impossible as an urge to set foot on unexplored summits and a need to know is also a key element in his second career as world explorer and photojournalist. As a modern Ulysses, or rather as a 20th century version of Stanley and Livingstone, or perhaps as a living counterpart to the Italian journalists and explorers of the 19th century in, in the literature of Salgari and the Amicis, Bonatti started to work as a reporter for the magazine Epoca in the mid-1960s. The publisher, Arnoldo Mondadori, commissioned Bonatti at the end of his active career to travel around the world and send the magazine his photographic reports. Perhaps this was a way to make up for his first rejection of Bonatti right after the K2 expedition, when at the climber's request to fund a second, this time solo, expedition to the Himalayan mountain, Mondadori dismissed him by saying he didn't want to pay for his death. In any case, their collaboration gave rise to an innovative form of geographic communication, driven by Bonatti's Ulysses urge to set foot in uncharted territory and the same madness of seeing, or folie de voir, of 19th century photographers in tracing the contours of the unseen, in possessing space by capturing it through the photographic eye. Bonatti's innovative work for Epoca consisted in his ability to constantly weave the narration of his personal challenges with literary or historical references, thus turning solitary traveling into collective discovery, geographic service into anthropological storytelling, and captivated vision into cultural understanding. In his travels, he shared with readers a vision of the world's geography, so islands, Alaska's Prefilof Islands or the Marquesas Islands in French Polynesia in the footsteps of Melville, jungles in Uganda and Tanzania or in Sumatra, rivers exploring the Orinoco and the sources of the Amazon River, volcanoes, the Niragongo in Congo, lakes, Lake Erie in Central Australia, plateaus, the McMurdo dry valleys in Antarctica and the southern Patagonian ice fields, and of course, mountains, ascending Aconcagua in Argentina or Kilimanjaro and Ruwenzori in Africa on the route opened by Italy's pioneer climber Prince Luigi Amedeo, Duke of the Abruzzi. Even at the end of his collaboration with Epoca, he would continue to travel and film, especially after relocating to Lombardy with the actress Rosanna Podesta, exploring the volcanic lakes of Vanuatu and Ethiopia, Papua New Guinea, the Russian Kamchatka, the Egyptian Sahara, and Patagonia. Some of his reels appear in the movie W di Walter, which Podesta dedicated to him after his death in 2011. His camera would trace his presence in desert spaces, turning wilderness into contemplation, relating untouched lands to an inquiring eye, endowing nature with a sense of awe, marvel, and ultimately gratitude. So exploration from alpinism to traveling not only offered him a synthesis of aesthetics, history, and ethics, as we said, but also a way to gain, through a logic of self-challenge and discovery, a deeper experience and knowledge 
of his humanity. In a similar way, entrepreneurship represents an enduring challenge of discovery and self-overcoming. The adventure, or impresa, to constantly step into the unknown and chart it as a way to find new ground and depth for one's own path. I invite you to look at the photographs of Bonatti's travels on the web and, of course, the next time you fly to Italy from the United States to peek out your window when the airplane is above the Alps. Dream about these incontaminated spaces and imagine Bonatti's imprese. Perhaps Bonatti's story or alpinism as a risky yet calculated space of initiative can be an inspiration to open a path or a route in your professional journey whether in research or entrepreneurship. That's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Italian Innovators YouTube channel and leave a review of this episode as a way to support the project of this podcast. You can also subscribe to the webpage www.italianinnovators.com or follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter for updates and additional materials on the podcast. Thanks again. Arrivederci e alla prossima. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.